Thanks, Kate. How's it going? All right. That's fine. That was unusually bad. Never know how to come out after someone prays, you know? Like, I just want to be like, yeah, what's up? But it's like you guys were just praying. So we'll tone it down a little bit. But welcome, guys. <clears throat> welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad that you guys are here tonight. My name is Cody, and I'm so, 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 so grateful that you guys have chosen to be here on a Tuesday night. It's almost April. It's the hard part of the semester. If I was in your shoes, maybe I'd be here. Maybe I wasn't, you know? Who knows? But I'm glad that you guys are here, okay? I'm glad that you guys are here. So tonight, we are continuing our study in 1 Timothy. And so as a general reminder, Paul wrote 1 Timothy to, you guessed it, Timothy, for the purposes of commissioning Timothy as a leader in the church and to confront corrupt and false teachers who have invaded the church at Ephesus with wonky and strange teachings, okay? So in the midst of this letter, Paul not only tells Timothy who and what he should confront, but he also gives us a beautiful picture as to what the local church should look like. So the guys over at the Bible Project, anybody in here a fan of the Bible Project? Yeah. Sometimes when I get asked to teach, I'm like, let's just watch the video three times over because I think that'll do a better job. But the guys of the Bible Project say that the book of First Timothy gives readers a holistic vision of the church. First Timothy gives readers a holistic vision of the church. How? Great question. By addressing the church at Ephesus in the ways in which they've gone wrong. That's, you know, that's good. But we also get to see what the church should be like by, by encouraging and by exhorting the church to head in the right direction. Okay, so because of those two, we see what a holistic vision of the church is. And so this letter has a ton for us. It really does. So last week, Brandon talked about how the church at Ephesus was prone to this frenetic or frantic spiritual activity. I feel that on a spiritual level, just doing religious stuff without a heart that is loving and following Jesus, right? Like you're just doing the thing. You're going to church, you're going to grow group, you're going to GC, you're just doing the thing, but your heart feels like it's a million miles behind you. At least that's how I feel. So tonight we're gonna be talking about 1 Timothy 4, verses one through 16. We're gonna be taking a look at how Timothy addresses this bad theology that is present at the church at Ephesus, okay? So we have a slide up here. So Oxford language, big fan of those guys, uh, defines theology as the study of the nature of God and religious belief. So theology is the study of the nature of God and religious belief. And so if you break down the, word, the actual word theology in Latin, there's another slide, theo means God, Ology is the study of. And so it's really, really quite simple. So theology is just the study of God. And the study of, of theology answers questions like this. What is God like? What is his nature? How should we interact with him? What is my place in the world as it pertains to God? It answers questions like this. Theology addresses questions like this. So if theology is the study of God, okay, then this word doctrine is like taking those beliefs that are out here, writing them down, and then teaching them to others, okay? So if theology is these big kind of beliefs about God, about man, about us, then doctrine is taking those beliefs, writing them down, and teaching them to others. So tonight, we're going to be talking a lot about theology and doctrine. And so when we say that Timothy is correcting and calling out bad theology, he is addressing wrong thoughts about God, 
theology that are being spread throughout the church through false teachers, wrong doctrine, super, super important stuff. So this topic has like a ton for us today as 21st century followers of Jesus, because our beliefs that we hold about God inform how we live our lives. That's just the reality. Our beliefs that we hold about God inform how we live our lives. So as followers of Jesus, what we believe, like truly, truly believe, what guides us affects how we interact with other people, with, with our friends, with our community, with God even, with our vocation. It has a lot to do with everything. So the reality is this, and to quote a old dead Bible theologian guy named R.C. Sproul, everybody is a theologian. Everybody is a theologian. You might hear that and you might think, well, I'm not a theologian. Let me ask you this. Have you ever, if you're in here and you think, I don't think I'm a theologian, have you ever had a thought about God? Ever? It's a general thought. Or have you ever come to some sort of conclusion about what you think God might be like? Okay, if you have, which is everyone, then you are a theologian, okay? Everybody is a theologian because everyone has formed thoughts about God. Even the atheist is a theologian in some sense. So you do not need a seminary degree to be a theologian. Why? Because you have, throughout the course of your life, developed thoughts about what God is like and what we are to do in light of God and how we should interact with him. So if you're anything like me, um, you may have inherited some good, some right, and some biblical thoughts and theology about God just from, you know, living life. But if you're also like me, you probably have some really bad, false, irreverent, and biblically unfaithful beliefs about God as well. And God wants to correct those things for our good and for his glory. So some of y'all hear the word theology. I know it. I know it to be true. Some of y'all hear this word theology, and you're immediately put off by it. Maybe right, maybe wrong. You, stay, you, you might say some things like, I don't concern myself with the pursuit of theology because I am just supposed to love people. You say things like that. Anybody? If that's you, it's okay. You can laugh. Or you're on the other side of the room and you hear the word theology and you start foaming at the mouth, hoping that somehow I take a passage in 1 Timothy all the way back to Romans 9, seven times over again to talk about predestination election. Jaden. <laughs> Just kidding. I told you I was coming for you. I don't know where you're at. So regardless of where you're at or your reception of this concept of theology, the reality is, is that all of us, even if, you're, even if you're in here and you're not sure about Jesus, you are a theologian. You are a theologian. And because of that, if this sermon had a title, it has a title. It's called Everybody is a Theologian, okay? So because of all of these things, because of these realities, it is so important, students, it is so, so, so important that we pursue good, right, and biblically faithful theology that forms us as children of God into who God actually wants us to be because just like the church at Ephesus left to our own interpretation of what we think God is like and what we're supposed to do in light of God, we are going to get it all wrong, just like the church at Ephesus. So that's why this letter has so, 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 so much for us today. So before we get into the scripture, I'm going to pray for us because I think this has a lot to, to say to us tonight. So Lord, just super, super grateful, super grateful to be here. God, um, personally, just grateful that you have, um, that you decided to save uh, me, grateful for all of the believers in the room um, that I know that you have saved, that you've called. Um, God, I pray for um, 
just tonight that eyes would be open, hearts would be open, that you would save, um, that you would use um, this for your glory. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so tonight we're going to be going through our passage just a few verses at a time. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 16, which is the whole chapter. That's great. Uh, Or you can follow along on the screen, whatever you want to do. So point number one, it's three points, super awesome. Point number one, calling out bad theology. This is verses one through five. It's going to be up on the screen. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 says this. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are sealed, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God, or sorry, everything created by God is good, And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So point number one, calling out bad theology. So like we mentioned earlier, the main reason that Paul is writing this whole letter is because Timothy, he's he's charging Timothy to go deal with these false teachers and bad theology. And so we're going to get into good theology later. We got to talk about the bad first, okay? So Paul writes that these false teachers, who he like calls out by name a chapter earlier, he's like, hey, you. You and you and you, stop, which is, you know, I'm like, shots fired. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know what, what the equivalent, cultural equivalent would have been back then, but he's coming for them. He's saying that these false teachers and those who follow them, follow these false teachers, just as regular people, will depart from the faith that they claim to hold. It says in verse 1 and 2, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. How? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are sealed. So Paul is saying that these individuals will leave the faith because of their devotion to deceitful spirits and demonic teaching, which is like super harsh language. So what kind of false teaching is he talking about? Great question. Verse three says, the false teacher is the one, this is me paraphrasing, the false teacher is the one, and this is verse three, who forbids marriage and requires abstinence from the food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So the false teaching in this text that Paul is referring to, at least with this passage in particular, is the false teaching that followers of Jesus can't get married and can't eat meat. Can't get married and can't eat meat, okay? So uh, we don't exactly know why or where this false teaching kind of comes from, but all we see is Paul saying, hey, you need to put it to it. Like, you need, to, you need to get rid of it. You need to put it to an end. So false teaching, both back then, you know, 2,000 years ago and today, oftentimes comes out of nowhere, and then it begins to spread. So a common example of what false teaching in 2023 could look like, could look like is the belief that God's word isn't actually God's word, that the Bible isn't trustworthy. Very, very common. So the culture would say that the Bible is just an old book that is not alive, that are not actually God's word. It's just a manuscript that's been handed down and handed down and handed down. It has no idea what it means. The Bible has no idea what it means to live in 2023. So what then do false teachers do? They pick and choose what they want to believe about God. False teachers can be Christians, Christians, and they can also be people who wouldn't claim to follow Jesus. See, so false teachers and even false teachers from within the church will say things like, I know what scripture says about 
marriage. I know what it says about divorce or what it means to love and to serve the immigrant or insert hot button cultural divisive topic that the Bible actually speaks on. False teachers will say, yeah, I know that the Bible says this, but my tribe, my people, the cultural waters in which I'm swimming say this, so I'm going to go with that. So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go in this direction away from the word of God. This kind of false teaching would say the same thing that Satan said in the garden. Did God really say? Did he really say? Is God really trustworthy? Well, to the false teacher, since these aren't actually the words of God, then no, he didn't actually say it. It's just a story. Do whatever you want. Follow your heart. Make yourself happy. Okay, so back then now to the uh, whole not not eating meat and not getting married bit. Uh, that doesn't sound super demonic to me. Like I read that and I go, okay, I see Paul that you're calling it demonic. I read that and I'm like, that feels like strong language. Uh, you know, it's like to each his own, right? Like you follow Jesus in the way that's, you know, good for you. I'll follow Jesus in the way that's good for me. And we'll all kind of, you know, meet in glory one day. Just let them live their lives. So why is this such a problem for God? I had to answer this for myself. Verse four and five says this. For everything created by God is good. So he's referring to marriage and the eating of meat. And nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. So this kind of teaching, the kind of teaching that says, you can eat this, you can't eat that. You can do this, you can't do that. Along with any other type of teaching like that, that says God said X, Y, or Z, when God didn't actually say these things, is a major, major offense to God. Let me say that again. When false teachers roll up and start saying that God says this about whatever topic, when God didn't actually say these things, that's a huge, huge offense to God. I mean, I mean, just think about this in your own life. Like how angry, I'm getting, I'm getting hot thinking about it just because I know, you know where my notes are going. How angry does it make you when other people say that you have said things that you have not actually said? Like, not only have you not said these things that people are claiming that you have said, but you don't even believe them. They're not, it's not even true about you, and people are saying these things about you, right? Like, like, this makes us angry because it is, in some sense, an injustice being done against us. If we feel this way as sinners who are prone to deceit, how much more is God, who is perfectly right, true, and holy, offended when people say that he said things that he didn't say, okay? Second Peter 1... Uh, three says this, his, this is God, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So believer in Jesus, God has given his children everything that we need as it pertains to life and godliness, primarily through his word and through the spirit that lives inside of us. So when false teachers, again, we could do this with, you know, first Timothy 2000 years ago, we could do this today. So when false teachers roll up and start saying that God said things that he didn't say, God, being a good God and father in heaven, defends his children quickly. He says, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. You need to stop. I did not say that. Why? Because God has given us everything that we need as it pertains to life and godliness. Okay? This is God's posture towards false teachers, false teaching, and false theology. He shuts it down quick. So, but in some ways, all of us have traces of bad or wrong theology. That's just the reality. This could be because of how we were raised. 
our involvement in a biblically unfaithful church growing up or lack thereof church, unhelpful TikTok theologians. Apparently those are a thing. I've only heard about them. Sin in your life, sin in the world, your own inner critic. Like that's the big one for me. Past trauma, the devil actually like getting in our head. Bad friends, the list goes on and on. Like we, we just by nature of existing have bad and wrong theology. That's just the reality. Because of sin, we live in a deeply broken and, fall, and flawed world with false theology circling around every which way we look. And God knows this. He knows this. And he has grace for his children in our pursuit of proper theology, okay? Proper belief, proper thought about God. Just like I don't expect my son, Gray, to know everything about what it means to be a healthy, functioning adult in society, God doesn't expect perfection. But he does expect pursuit, God does not expect perfection, but he does expect the pursuit of good, right, and biblically faithful theology in the life of his followers. He does. Why? Because he showed us what he's like, and he wants us to know him. How do we do that? Great question. Uh, Point number two. So point number one, calling out bad theology. Point number two, yeah, on the screen, pursue good theology. Simple enough. Verses six through ten. If you put these things before the brothers, that's good, right, biblically faithful, true theology and doctrine, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. If you put these things, not those things, these things, good theology before the brothers, you will be a good servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is enough to pursue it by itself. Moving on, he says, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, Having, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of, every, is of value in every way, as it holds the promise to the present life and also the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people especially those who believe. Okay, so what then does it mean to pursue good theology? From these verses, I offer three subpoints. I'm kind of nerdy, it's how I write sermons, so it's a lot, there's a lot going on, but just, it'll be up on the screen, follow along. So point two has three subpoints. Subpoint A says this, we don't concern ourselves with irreverent and silly myths. That's how we pursue good theology. We do not worry about that which that does not matter, okay? So we see verse 7a, it says, have nothing to do with irreverent, and silly myths. So what this is saying, believer, is not to concern yourself with theological things that don't really matter, okay? Particularly irreverent and silly myths. This could be like a ton of different things, okay? So when we talk about different theological truths, let me kind of nerd out with you guys real quick. We talk about different, like true theological truths that we find in scripture, they're all valuable. Like all things that are true are valuable, okay? But some truths that we find in scripture are more valuable than others. You might hear that and be like, hold on, where are you going with this? There is a hierarchy of value as it pertains to biblical truth in the Bible. Okay, let me explain. For example, the doctrine of Jesus's sinful life, it's called Christology, the doctrine of Jesus's sinful life, physical death, and bodily resurrection is way more important than whether or not you believe in predestination. Okay, we would say that the doctrine of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, 
things like this, we would call these things that pertain directly to whether or not someone comes to faith in Jesus as primary theological issues, okay? Or saying it a different way, closed-handed doctrines, okay? These, are, these primary theological issues are closed-handed doctrines, things like Jesus, salvation, the big things. Closed-handed means that you cannot come into the family of God without believing these things, these core truths, okay? So below primary doctrines, you have secondary theological doctrines, oftentimes referred to as, you guessed it, open-handed issues. Open-handed issues, things like predestination, election, baptism, spiritual gifts, worship, stuff like that, really important stuff, but just not, just not on the same level. In these secondary or open-handed um, issues, you do not have to believe one thing or the other in order to come to faith in Jesus. It's a lot of stuff that you get exposed to after you come to faith in Jesus and all that stuff's great. So there's a broad range of biblically faithful churches that believe a whole host of different things in the secondary theological issues area. So again, primary and close-handed issues, secondary open-handed issues, and then way below that, you have irreverent and silly myths. Way below that, you have irreverent and silly myths. So Paul is saying to not concern yourself with these things, with these things. And it's kind of hard to nail down a definition, but I have a story from my time in college that maybe is going to help, maybe not. We're going to do it anyway. So in college, a really cool place to study was Market Street. I think I asked that last time. Anybody still studying Market Street? 19th Street. Mm, Incredible. So one day I was having a grow group, one-on-one grow group with a guy, college dude. He was a couple years younger than me. Um, so he had just really like started walking with the Lord and we were going through passages of scripture like, like crazy. It was, it was, it's awesome. It was awesome. Uh, one night we were meeting up over dinner, Market Street 19th. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I had a little chicken plates with the mac and cheese. Y'all know what I'm talking about, especially the fellas. Mike and mac and cheese is still gas. So good. So we had our little chicken plates and then we had our Bibles open and about 15 minutes into meeting, this dude walks up and he's crazy looking, like tattered clothes, like not like, like crazy looking, kind of crazy looking his eye. He starts walking up to us and he just stands, like if we're eating here, he just stands like this at the corner of the table. And I was like, what's up dog? <laughs> like, hey, how's it going? Um, and he asked us, he said, uh, what are you doing? And I said, I mean, like we're, we're eating chicken and mac and cheese and we're reading our Bibles. And he goes, he immediately says, like he was like ready to say it. He goes, oh, you're reading the wrong Bible. I said, huh? What's that? So he begins to show me that because of some random, this really has a real story, y'all. He begins to show me that because of some random miscapitalization in the book of Matthew, in one of the translations, that all of the New Testament and all of the teachings about Jesus are wrong. One miscapitalization. He goes, hey, it's all wrong. Follow me this way. And I'm like, no shot, dude. You're insane. So I remember asking him, I was like, okay, so that's a big, that's a big claim. Uh, how do you know? <laughs> you know, like, if this is true, like, kind of a big deal. How do you know? And he begins to tell me that he studied for no more than two years uh, under a Greek and Hebrew professor at the prestigious Texas Tech University, Reckham. And during these two years of language study, God essentially showed him that the entire New Testament was wrong, which is wild. So I, I told him, I, said, I actually said this, I said, with all due respect, um, I would rather, and I remember holding up my Bible, like I was like, this is going to go two ways. I said, hey, with all due respect, 
Um, I would rather trust the host of scholars uh, at the back of this Bible that have went to way better schools than Texas Tech University with my Bible needs. Uh, he did not like that at all. He was not a fan of that. He got heated. He immediately went to, you're going to hell. Like, I mean, immediately just jumped straight over all the other stuff. was like, you're going to hell. Um, and so we had to like actually like ask him to leave and like stand up and like, okay. So this is kind of like an over-exaggeration real story that actually happened. But I think that when we're talking about irreverent and silly myths, I think it's stuff like this. I think it's stuff like people who are trying to get other people to walk away from Jesus, okay? It's things like this. I believe that this is what Paul's talking about in this passage, okay? So sub point A, we don't concern ourselves with irreverent, silly myths like the guy at Market Street. So sub point B, train yourself for godliness, okay? This is uh, verses seven through nine. It says this, should be up on the screen. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life, so for what we're experiencing now, but also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That's Paul saying, listen to this. Listen to this. So this subpoint is pretty straightforward. If we can all agree, which I think we can, that the world, our culture, Satan, and even parts of ourselves are trying to convince us to walk away from God to pursue some sort of bad theology, whether we know it to be theology or not, then there's really only one response that a follower of Jesus can make, and that is to pursue good theology. And we do this by training ourselves for godliness, okay? Much like training yourselves in the weight room, like this is not like this is not something that happens overnight. But what does it look like, okay? To list a few, this is just a snapshot of a few things of what it means to train yourself in godliness. Scripture reading. Scripture reading. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. God has revealed himself in his word, in a book. He tells us exactly what he's like and exactly how we should live in light of these truths. Get in the Bible. Prayer. Because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, on behalf of all who would repent of their sins, trust in Jesus for their way back to God, is given a new life. He's given a new identity. She is giving new, given new purpose, and we become children of God. And so prayer is the way in which we communicate with God. So prayer, scripture reading, prayer. Third, confession of sin, accountability, and community. Confession of sin, accountability, and community. So we cannot do this Christian life alone, like at all. We need people in our life to call us out. You do. If you don't like that, then you're probably not gonna like faithfully walking with Jesus. We need people in our life to call us out, to hold us accountable to the things of God. We, we also, like other people, here's a thought, other people need you to do that for them. So accountability is not like a, hey, what can I get from some spiritual person? But it, it is how can I engage in community? How can I engage in community? Okay, other people need you in the same way that you need them. Finally, this is just a short list. Obey the commands of God. It's a big one. It's a big one. So what it means to train yourself for godliness means to study what God is like through his word. You know, that's good. It's a good start. Talk to God, pray, engage with the scriptures, engage and be in community. And it also means to, at the end of the day, obey the things that God is asking you to do. Okay? We are to obey the things that God is asking us to do. Jesus says, these are Jesus's words in John. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. 
if Jesus, not Paul, Jesus says, if you love me or if you say you love me, then you will keep my commands. Obviously, he knows they're not going to be perfect. That's why he came to die on the cross. But a steady, again, not perfection, but a pursuit, a pursuit. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Sub point B, okay. Last one, sub point C, remember the gospel, okay. Verse 10 says this, for to this end, okay, for to this end, this is the not concerning ourselves with irreverent silly myths and training ourselves for godliness. To this end, we toil and we strive because why? Why do we do it all? Because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. So in order to live a life, a whole 80, 90 life years of life, faithful obedience to Jesus, the whole bit, which should be the goal, that's the goal, we must continually remind ourselves of the foundational truth of the gospel message of Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus in here, hopefully that's a lot of you, just listen to these verses that I'm about to read. This comes from 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7. This is true of you. Right now, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you're going through, if you, if you know Jesus, if God has breathed new life into your soul, this is the most true thing about you. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, not your works, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, believer, for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice, not in your present circumstance. In these things, you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious to God than gold, though it perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus when Jesus comes back. Like this is, this is it. This is your hope. Christian, this is your foundation. Cody, this is your foundation. In your pursuit of God, believer, you cannot forget that you were born separated from God. You just can't. You, I, all of us, everyone in this room, were born an enemy of God. That's the reality. That's what scripture talks about us. We were destined for hell because of our sinful willing disobedience to God. But God, good news, but God in his grace, he's caused us, according to this verse, to be born again, to be born new. He spoke new life into our dead bodies. But this grace, y'all, this grace is only for those who turn from their sins, obey the commands of Christ and follow Jesus and throw themselves upon the cross of Christ as their way back to God. The gospel, this message is not only the doorway, if you will, into how we enter the kingdom of God, but it's also the path that we walk on our entire lives. We never graduate from the gospel. Tim Keller says that we never move on from the gospel. We just don't move past it. It's not like, okay, you got your fire insurance ticket. Now let's start talking about 
predestination, eschatology, throw up, you know, throw up all the big words. It's like, no, like the gospel is your foundation. And it's also the path that you walk on your whole life. We never move on. We never move on. So how do we pursue good theology? We don't concern ourselves with irreverent, silly myths. We train ourselves actively, train ourselves for godliness. John Piper says that we will never stumble into godliness. Okay. It's one of the most impactful quotes I ever read during my time in college. It was in a book, can't remember the name. And he says, there will never be a single day in your life where you wake up, your feet hit the ground, and you're more godly. It just won't happen. You train yourself for godliness. See, you remember the gospel. Okay, so back, to, those are our sub points. I know you thought, almost done. Nope, uh, getting there though. So we have point one, calling out bad theology. Point two, pursuing good theology. Okay, point number three. Last point, teach these things, teach good theology. This stems from verse 11 through 16, which says this. First Timothy 4, 11 through 16 says, command and teach these things, this good doctrine. Let no one despise you for your youth. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers, an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, until I come, that's Paul. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation or encouragement, to teaching, it's teaching the Bible. Do not neglect the gift you have, which has been given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this for and by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So again, it's the these things. Our, point, our third point, teach these things. The these things here is good and sound doctrine. It's important to God. Close-handed issues, teach these close-handed issues about man, about Jesus, about salvation, about how people come into the kingdom of God, about how people experience new life and hope in Jesus. Teach these things. So in other words, when you are teaching, there's, there's almost an implied like, hey, when you're doing this, when you are teaching within the context of the local church, whether that's small group ministry, girl groups, whatever, just like the church in Ephesus, the charge is the same. Keep the main things the main things. Keep the main things, the main things. Okay, so next we see Paul give Timothy a beautiful encouragement to set an example as a young man and what it means to live and to lead a godly life. So this is all of us in the room. He says, do not let anyone despise you, tell you that you don't know what you're doing, that you don't know what you're talking about, that you're too young to understand the things of God. No, Paul tells Timothy to not only shut that down, but he says to set an example, like set an example as a young adult in how you talk, in how you love, in how you conduct your life, in your pursuit of purity, in your faith to Jesus. We could have spent like our entire time here tonight talking about this verse in particular. Because why? It's a room full of young adults. Like you guys are in the age range of who this letter was being written to, which is cool. So the encouragement for each of you, for me, from the word of God is that, and if you claim the name of Jesus, is that you matter. Your faith, your faith is important. Paul is telling Timothy, like, you are important. Timothy, your faith. And in so, like, we are being communicated the same truths. Don't let anyone look down on you. 
or condemn you for being too young. You, like everyone in the room, I promise you, you have a role to play in the kingdom of God. God wants to use you, wants to use your influence to make an impact for his kingdom. So the call to Timothy here is the same for you. Live a life honoring to God. Leverage your influence for his kingdom. How? Primarily by teaching good and true things about God to others. That's how it's done. So continuing on, we see Paul command Timothy to make sure certain elements are present during the worship service. He's like, hey, by the way, here's this big encouragement. Also, make sure you do all these little things too. That's basically what happened. Then we get to uh, 1 Timothy 4, 16, which is personally one of my favorite passages of scripture in the whole Bible, truly. It says this, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So this, this verse basically puts like a little bow on everything. So Paul is encouraging Timothy in a world full of false teachers, bad doctrine, cultural winds, that are trying to get us to compromise or get him to compromise his faith in God, Paul tells Timothy to keep a close watch on his life. That's interesting. Keep a close watch on your life, how you live, and also on your teaching, both in what you receive, what you learn, and also what you communicate to others. Watch these things. Keep a close guard on these things. Why? Well, for in by doing so, he will save both himself and his hearers, or those under his pastoral care. So Paul is saying to Timothy that when you confess Jesus as Lord, okay, you live a life that honors God. So when you confess Jesus with your mouth, okay, and you live a life that honors God, this combination of your profession of faith and your life that actually reflects it confirms your salvation. That's all it's saying. The, 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 the inverse of that would be, I claim to follow Jesus, yet I am a... Not a nice person, okay? You'd be like, there's some inconsistencies there, okay? Your profession of faith and your life of worship confirms your salvation. That's what this verse is saying. Furthermore, this type of life actually, like when you are living life this way, confessing Jesus with your mouth and then actually loving him with how you interact with others is actually an effective ministry to keeping others in the faith as well. To keeping others in the faith as well. This is that communal aspect of our faith, like encouragement, exhortation, rebuke of bad theology, growth, encouragement, and good stuff. Like all of these things help all of us as a community live a lifetime of following and trusting Jesus, thus confirming our salvations, okay? So as we begin to wrap this up, there are a few points of application that, we wanna, that I wanna talk about tonight. We're gonna go rapid fire. If you're taking notes, God bless you. Good luck. So application number one, God is knowable and he wants you to know him. God is knowable and he wants you to know him. Okay, Luke 12, 13, sorry, Luke 12, 32 says, fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. Let me read that again. Fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. This is what God is saying. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know what it is like to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. So go after him, get in the word. Two, take your faith seriously and pursue sound doctrine. Pursue growth in godliness. Three, share sound doctrine. Teach sound doctrine. Promote proper theology with those around you. Teach others. Fourth, and this is me talking to me here, 
if you're in here and maybe you have, you, you kind of know your way around the Bible a little bit. But just because you have a proper theology, just because you have proper intellectual belief does not mean that your life reflects the truth that you say you hold. If you find yourself in here and you're thinking, yep, got it. I have, you know, systematic theology tattooed on my back. I'm good. I know the Bible. The application then for you would be to take a close look at your life and see if how you're living reflects the things that you say that you believe. That's me coming from me. This is going to be my own personal temptation. Like, I've been walking with the Lord. I was counting it back there uh, over 11 years, which is crazy. Um, I'm about to graduate with my master's in seminary, which is fun. And if I am not careful, I can begin to substitute proper Christian thought with proper Christian living. If I'm not careful, I can begin to substitute knowing about God with actually loving him with my lives. Again, the call here is to watch your life and to watch your doctrine. It's twofold. So next steps, and Ben, you guys can come out. I'm almost done, I promise. Because everyone's a theologian, everyone has a next step to make tonight. Maybe you're in here and your next step is you need to grab a Bible reading plan. You need to begin to seek and to study and to learn about God on your own. Or maybe you're in here and you are uh, talking and sharing about the Bible, okay, from a place of feeling or cultural lenses rather than a place of scriptural theology and sound biblical footing. So your next step, if that's you, talking about the Bible uh, in ways that you maybe don't know exactly what you're talking about. It's harsh language. According to this text, your, your next step is to stop. It's to stop. So if you're in here and you aren't reading your Bible and you're not being formed by the word of God, yet you find yourself telling others what you think God is like or what you think he thinks about X, Y, or Z topic, you need to be careful. You need to be careful. Or maybe you're in here and you've been faithfully walking with Jesus for some time and you wanna pursue you know, growth and godliness, training yourself in these things. And your next step might mean that you need to own your theology, own your study of God, like press into these things. Maybe you need to sign up for an equipping class when it comes around. Maybe, just maybe, this is a shameless plug. Maybe you should consider applying for leadership. We do not have the, you know, monopoly on what it means to train people up in godliness and all this stuff. But what our heart as a ministry is that our leaders would come in and then love God more and obey him more when they leave, okay? Through sound doctrine and through encouragement, okay? Shout out leaders, where y'all at? (laughs) I heard someone over here like, woo. (laughs) So if you're on the fence about applying, just do it. So finally, maybe you're in here and you have not given your life to Jesus, okay? And you've tried, if you're like me in high school, in early college, maybe you found yourself trying to find the soul level happiness, satisfaction in things other than God. Regardless of how far you may have gone or what you did yesterday, what you did last week or whatever, Jesus still wants you. Jesus wants to save you. He wants to give you a new name. He wants to change your life. He wants to give you a renewed purpose and he wants to show you what he is like. He wants to show you what your purpose is in him. So it does not matter how far you've gone, God wants you. If you want to talk about what it might mean to follow Jesus, or if you just want someone to pray with you, we're going to have staff in the back. So please go over there and do that. Okay, John 10.10 says that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says that he came that we may have life 
and have it abundantly. So regardless of what your next step is tonight, press into Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, I am I'm grateful for you. God, I'm grateful for your revealed word that you show us what you're like and that you even invite us in to know you. God, you are good. We do not deserve you. We do not deserve your grace, your love, your forgiveness. God, you offer that to everyone. So I pray specifically for someone who might be in here who knows that they are not walking with you, that has now heard an invitation to come to you and is feeling some sort of pull to follow you. God, I pray that you would open up the floodgates, that you would save them, that you would um, encourage them to go and talk to someone, have a conversation with a friend, pray to you now in this moment, maybe for the first time. God, I also pray for the person in here who is walking with you, who's been faithfully walking with you, Lord, for a while, and they feel tired, and they feel worn out, and they feel like, God, do you even care about the stuff that, that is going on in my life? God, I pray that you would encourage them in this moment through the singing of these truths and these songs that we're about to sing, that you'd encourage their hearts to love you and to continue to press on. So I pray all of these things in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.